1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome to On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host and the expert on all matters real estate is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Hi, Asif. Hi, Tina. Good morning, everyone. Hello. So let's get started with, you know, what's the difference between, you know, buying off plans and going to a, a builder and those resale homes? What are the benefits or what are the negatives associated with each? Uh, so let's talk about resale first. So with resale homes, uh, I mean, there's pros and cons to everything. And, and with resale homes, you know what you're getting. So even though you may need to do a little bit of work to it, you know how the area has developed, you know what's around, you know that the house is settled. Uh, Sometimes you get finished basements with it, you know, uh, landscaping. Uh, So there's lots of pros and, and cons to resale homes with new builds. People like new builds because they're they're buying off the plans. They can customize it. No one's lived in this place before. You can choose your colors. So all of this is done before moving in. I would say the cons of a new build is, you know, lately we've been uh, seeing a lot of stories about the minimum occupancy standards and, you know, builders just providing the minimum and getting you to close on these homes and and then you're pretty much in this home and it's not complete. Yeah, well, you talked about resale homes and you said, you know, you know what you're getting. But sometimes, do you really know what you're getting? What's what's hidden behind, you know, those walls or under those floors? Do you suggest that a home inspection is a good idea? A home inspection is a great idea for both, for, for resale homes and new bills. For for resale homes, you're, I mean, a home inspector can't look behind walls. They can do their best they, as, as they can. But with uh, new bills, you also want to take a home inspector in for your pre-delivery inspection and make sure that they can take a look at how, you know, uh, the systems are working in the home, if everything's been installed properly. So a home inspection is always a good idea for resale homes and new bills. Okay, so that kind of surprised me, frankly, because I would think it's a new home. Everything's going to be perfect and in functioning and working order and pristine. And why would I need a home inspection at that stage of the game? You know, a home information, uh, home inspection is more for uh, peace of mind. So the home inspector is going to go in and, and make sure all the systems are working. They're installed properly. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you go into a brand new home and find out that the furnace hasn't been installed properly and it's not sending enough air to a couple of your rooms or something like that. The home inspector will go in and check all this and make sure that you have peace of mind when you move in. And also, I mean, what people don't realize is the home inspector also helps you understand the systems and how to work and how to service them. So it's always a good idea to take them in. Now, what about um, a new build in terms of a condo? We're seeing them pop over, pop up um, across the region. Um, is a home inspection necessary for a condo? I would say yes. It's it's a limited home inspection because in a condo, all you really need to worry about is what's inside your walls. Whereas in a home, you're worried about the roof, you're worried about the basement and outside and drainage and things like that. So it's more of a limited inspection for a condo. And, uh, and you know, we've had our clients take home inspectors in and uh, take a look at everything that's uh, within the walls of a condo. 
Now, in terms of um, dealing with builders, is there is there a, a real estate involved in that process, or do you bring your own real estate in? How does it work? So it depends on the client. Some people will want a realtor to go in to protect them. I, I mean, our our mandate is to protect our clients. So, I mean, we, uh, we've we heard horror stories from, from builders and we've had to step in and, and make sure that, uh, you know, the builder does comply with what they're uh, obligated to do and at the same time, uh, you know, gives our client the peace of mind that they have someone helping them out. And our relationship with the builders is very good because we're partners with them. I mean, we're helping them with their home sales and, you know, we want to be, you know, involved in the process from the start to the end to make sure that we're properly representing our clients as well. Again, a lot of good advice. When we come back, the story of a buyer forced to take occupancy of an incomplete home. Stay with us. You're listening to 105.9 The Region and this is On The Market. More with Asif Khan and Remax Prime Properties when we come back. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. We're joined now by Helen Liu. Helen's with Remax Prime Properties. Helen, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. So Helen, we're uh, we're discussing uh, new builds and uh, occupancy standards, the minimum occupancy right. standards. And I know you had a client that uh, uh, purchased a new build. And yes. what we wanted to talk about: what was the condition of the home when your client uh, called you? Okay, actually, um, it was at the time of PDI, and then we walk into the house. It was surprised; it was still in the construction stage, not in an occupant. I mean, it's not in a moving condition. So we were just shocked. Everything was um, all over the place. The stairs were not ready. There's no kitchen, no sink, no bathtub, no mirrors, nothing. So, so this and they were the calling PDI. us for PDI. How, how, how much uh, earlier than the anticipated occupancy date was this? Sort of a few days so before? Probably like three, three, four days. Okay. Yeah. So did you make a note in the PDI of all the items that needed to be addressed? Um, I actually refused the PDI, but the builder was forcing us to say, if you don't do the PDI, we'll do it on your behalf. You have to close once the occupancy permit is issued. Okay, sorry. Asif, can you explain PDI to our listeners? So it's a pre-delivery, it's a pre-delivery inspection. inspection. Pre-delivery inspection, and it's done prior to uh, occupancy being granted. Oh, cool. Uh, it's um, it's it's a standard process where the builder will go in or with the homeowner or the purchaser right. and uh, go through everything to just to check out if there's any deficiencies. Okay, cool, makes sense. So Helen, yeah. uh, after you refused the PDI, did the builder do uh-huh. the necessary work to have the house ready for closing? I actually refused the PDI and then I started writing to the builder to the customer service and there was no response whatsoever. Okay, and then when did you or when did your client hear that uh, they had to take occupancy? Um, because the thing is, um, when I wrote to the customer service, there was no response, so I called, and then I was told that um, if the city issued the occupancy permit, we have to take occupancy, then it's going to be our default. I even tried try to contact my lawyer to um, contact the builder's lawyer. That's what I received after that. 
Well, so it's it's feeling like, you know, from a buyer's perspective that, you know, we really don't have much of a choice here, that we're, we're, we're it, backed into a corner. It, is that not the case? Yes, it is. It was. Yeah. What was the state at occupancy when you uh, got the actual keys? What was the state of the home? Was uh, Were repairs completed by then or uh, no, they started? No, it, it wasn't. There was a leaky basement and um, the kitchen was still not ready. Um, it was a kitchen sink in the kitchen. I'm sorry, it was a toilet sink in the, in the kitchen area and um, there's only one toilet. There's no tub, nothing. Now, from what I understand, Helen, the minimum occupancy standards that are set by the government are you have to have heat, hydro, one working sink, and one working toilet. Was exactly. that, uh, you know, is that, that was the minimum, minimum, bare minimum standard. That's what uh, we got on the, on the closing date. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that people are, are forced to close with that because. You know, if if you have a family of four, how do you operate mm-hmm. with just you know one sink, one toilet, and and uh, and expect a family to live there? Yeah, because what happens? I heard. I mean, I have um, experience from new homes, so I know what's going on. But I know that so many homeowners were forced to close, and they they were not ready to move in, and they have to pay their mortgage. So what is what is a buyer to do? So did they did this buyer um, this client of yours did they have to move into the home? I mean, they at least they had a place to stay, so they were not in a rush. Mm-hmm. But they end up paying one a one month mortgage for nothing because the home was still not ready to move in for like about three weeks. So Helen, now we're we're six months down from the occupancy being granted to the homeowners. Mm-hmm. What does it say? When did everything uh, get finalized? When was everything fixed and repaired? Was it after one month um, or after two months? It's probably after like about two months. And it's not, I mean, it's still not completely done till today. And so what it's recourse does like- the client have? Uh, do they still come back to you or now are they advocates for themselves? Do they have to go back to the to the builder constantly? How does How does this work? They, they have to go to Tarion, and then the builder will come back and repair. But the thing is, at their own convenience, right? At the builder's own convenience. Whenever they want to come back, they'll just let the homeowners know. They'll come back for the repairs. But it, 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 they don't have a timeline to fix the um, uh, deficiencies. And is there um, a time limit on the deficiencies? So, you know, if I've just moved into this home and I have, what, just a year to report deficiencies or six um, months, you, how does you it have, work? You have 30 days and then you have a year. Wow. So after the, I mean, yeah, I mean, think after the 30 days, you fill a 30-day tie-around form. So you submit that to the tie-around and then the builder will come back to fix the deficiency. But the builder doesn't have a timeline. So it's almost like we need, can, yeah. almost like we need need to revisit the minimum standards because it doesn't look like what the builder is doing is wrong. It looks like they're adhering to their minimum standards, and and maybe that's what needs to be addressed. Exactly. Wow. Well, Helen, thank you very much for joining us and and sharing that story with us, and uh, keep us You're posted. Welcome. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Helen, for joining us. We have another guest on the line right now for On the Market, Christopher Alexander, Regional Director from REMAX Integra for the Ontario and Atlantic region. He joins us next. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. 
Christopher, uh, we wanted to speak about how Remax wants to protect uh, our clients or our buyers, and also in the same uh, essence, enhance the relationship with builders. Well, our our mandate has always been to do what's best for the consumer. So, what's best for them is what's best for us. And um, in situations like like these, uh, it is important that. Um, the standards uh, for occupancy are, are raised because uh, there have been a number of examples over the past uh, couple of years where, um, you know, clients, consumers walk into a, a property that uh, they're given occupancy, but it's just so far from being finished, simply not fair. Um, and as far as bettering the relationship with builders, I mean, we're both in the same industry uh, for the most part, which is helping families uh, dream, uh, achieve their dream of home ownership. Um, right. I mean, so, I mean, in essence, we're partners with builders, and, and we want to work with them to make sure that a, a finished product is delivered to our the end, end user. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you can't, uh, if you uh, buy a car and you're expecting it to be white and you show up and it's green, uh, you wouldn't be happy. And uh, imagine if... Uh, your kitchen wasn't complete or, um, you know, your flooring wasn't in. That just wouldn't uh, be good for, for anybody. Christopher, do you find that uh, builders are resistant to to work with you and to to have these types of conversations? I mean, why wouldn't they want to make sure that the consumer is satisfied, the buyer is satisfied? Well, I can't really speak for the builders, and generally speaking, um you know, their reputations are on the line, too. So I'm sure that they want uh, satisfied customers um, because, you know, the, the just like us, the more bad experiences we give to consumers, the, the harder it will be uh, going forward. So, again, I can't really speak for the builders themselves, but, uh, you know, generally they, they want to do a good job. So, you know, this is a great opportunity for for builders to enhance their reputation by by providing a finished product. So, you know, regardless of what's happened in the past, I mean, the, you know, some builder can step up to the plate right now and say, I'm going to change the minimum standards for our company, regardless of if the government changes minimum standards or not, and, and be able to deliver that product. Don't you see that as a huge advantage for someone that would want to step up? Absolutely. And I mean, in today's society, uh, our level of expectation is, is so much greater than, than ever before. And, you know, any, any building company that decides to step up and really raise the bar, um, it will deliver a whole other level of service that, uh, clients are expecting anyway. So, um, it's a good opportunity for sure. That's so true because with millennials, it's all about instant gratification. They don't want to wait. You know, they want they want that finished product. They want to move in to a place that is complete. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so do like you think I that said, they would be... T- the, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. So do you think that then those millennials are going to take that chance? Are they actually going to um, deal with builders and work off plans? Or are they going to wait until that home is fully finished and fully built before they they enter that market or they make an offer? Well, there's... It, it depends. I, I don't see that changing all that much because... Um, you know, certain people 
like certain things. There's a number of uh, investors or, or, or home buyers that like things brand new. I mean, that's certainly a trend for millennials as well. Um, they like things fresh, clean. Um, so I would still see them um, going the, the new construction route. However, uh, like the taxi industry, if they continue to get poor service and a poor, uh, low level of standards, um, you know, they could look elsewhere to uh, different, uh, achieve their dreams differently. That's a great point. I mean, you know, we're always going to have the segment of the the market that does go to new build because it's fresh. It, you know, they can customize it if they wanted. Um, but but I think what will happen is you'll start to see more pressure from the millennials on builders to offer a completed product. I agree. Um, you know, uh, Asif, what's the what's the percentage it has to be complete? Is it ninety percent or ninety five before they can give you the keys? Well, right Legally. now, the, the minimum standard is you need to have heat, hydro, a working toilet, and one working sink in the house. And that's considered adequate to for, for a purchaser to take occupancy. Okay, well, that's just, there's so much room for gray area there that, you know, no wonder we are experiencing difficulties um, on closing, uh, you know. I right. think at the very least, 95% complete uh, would suffice. I mean, uh, if you move into the house and you've got one working sink, but nothing else, and, you know, the heat's on, but you don't have floors and you don't have shower or whatever, that's just unacceptable. Um, but, you know, on the, on the flip side, if uh, there's a couple of odds and ends that aren't complete, it, that's understandable because the, the company will come back in and make all the uh, needed adjustments. Yeah, and I think you you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, there is too much gray area, and it's frightening. Can you share with us, without naming names, but can you share with us some horror stories? You know, what have you seen um, buyers be forced to do or have to move into a home which is, you know, bare bones maybe? What can you share with us? Well, it's, you know, there's certainly been a number of examples in the media over the last year, um, but... It, you know, I think for, for most buyers that, that aren't educated and don't know what their rights are, um, you know, it would be easier for a big conglomerate to say, no, you have to close. And if you don't close, uh, you know, we might pursue legal action. And, you know, if this is your first home and you're not well financed or whatever, um, you might be scared to get into a confrontation with a large uh, building empire. And again, I think that goes back to representation, you know, making sure you have the proper representation uh, from a real estate perspective, a home inspector, and also uh, a lawyer uh, to protect your interest in this purchase. And I think if they're, you know, making sure that they're well represented, chances are less that they would be taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely, Asif. I mean, uh, now more than ever, uh, it's critical to use a professional in today's real estate world. Um, there are so many uh, agents out there that don't um, perform at the level of standard that, that they should. And if you're not working with the right professional, you could end up in a very sticky situation. That's good advice. Thank you, Christopher, for joining us. Thank My you very pleasure. Much. Thanks for having me. 
And uh, just a reminder, if you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com and click on On the Market. When we come back, building playgrounds for terminally ill children. You're listening to On the Market on 1059 The Region. Stay with us. More with Asif Khan and Remax Prime Properties when we come back. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's only radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. We're joined now by Vince Mirabelli. Welcome to the show, Vince. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're talking about uh, building and, you know, building children's playgrounds. Now, can you tell us a little bit about a charity that you're very familiar with, Million Dollar Smiles? For sure. Uh, Million Dollar Smiles is a charity in Toronto that was uh, founded by my friend uh, Ana Lopez. And what they do is they build playgrounds uh, in the backyards of children that are terminally sick. Um, so parents uh, apply or they find out through Sick Kids Hospital of the families that are, that are needing a playground. And then uh, they take in the applications and then they build them in, the, in their backyards. How did this start, Vince? Was there... You know, a, a parent who, you know, needed to have a playground in the background, needed something to distract the family. How did this whole campaign start? Um, I know Anna was, uh, you know, she started off by doing uh, one or two. It was an idea that she came up with. And uh, what started as, a, you know, just a little pet project turned into something that's uh, gone a lot bigger. They've gone from building a couple in the first year to, I think, last year they built like 60 or 70 playgrounds in the GTA area. So almost every weekend they're building uh, one or two. Um, but it came from an idea, I think, from Sick Kids Hospital. That's remarkable. That's awesome. Yeah, and I know that uh, when, when did you get involved with this, and, and how are you involved? Do you actually build the playgrounds, or do you, is it more of a, a donation? Um, I met Anna uh, about three years ago at a, at a Tony Robbins event, and they were uh, passing out brochures for Million Dollar Smiles, and it intrigued me, so I called her up and I, and I signed up and I sponsored a playground. So to sponsor a playground is uh, $3,000. So an individual can sponsor or a company. Um, with the sponsorship, the company or the individual can also go and build the playground. So they have a team of volunteers that they have that will go and build it if you can't, but if your company wants to, then you also have that opportunity to go there with all the employees and help with their volunteers and put up the playground. That's awesome. It's almost like a Habitat for Humanity for playgrounds. Yeah, so, you know, some people, yeah, some people just sponsor and, and that's it. And then there's some people, companies that actually really get involved and, you know, they'll show up with 10 employees and help and, and they'll put the playground up. And they're done every weekend in the summer, Saturdays and Sundays they build them, so. That's amazing. Now, there's a, there's a charity function coming up and that's to raise money for more playgrounds. I know you've been instrumental in, in garnering support for this. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, gala that's coming up? Yes, the Million Dollar Smiles has an annual uh, Halloween gala, and it's this year. It's on uh, Saturday, or sorry, Friday, October 27th. Uh, it's $100 a ticket. It's at Paradise Banquet Hall up in Woodbridge. Um, and it's just a, it's a big Halloween gala, and they raise money for not just the playgrounds, but also for their teddy bear drive that they do every year. Um, usually the first week of December, they go and they deliver uh, four-foot bears to uh, children in the GTA area and also at Sick Kids Hospital, along with a $100 gift card for Toys R Us. So this gal is a fundraiser for the teddy bear drive and also for playgrounds. Four-feet bears. 
four foot bears. Wow. <laughs> That's a big bear. <laughs> literally, literally four foot bears. Yeah. So I, I usually fly down for it, and I, I go to a sick kids hospital where we go and deliver about you know fifteen there, but the rest are all delivered in the GTA to the actual homes of the children. Now, Vince, you've been involved now for quite some time with Million Dollar Smiles. Can you share with us, you know, some of the stories? Um, have you been able to meet some of these families and some of the kids that have benefited from the, the, the playgrounds? I have. I flew down when I sponsored my playground. I live in Thunder Bay, so Thunder Bay is a two-hour flight to Toronto. I flew in and uh, attended the actual build and met the family that we built the playground for. So they were out for the whole day. They take the children out, and then they, they show up when we're ready to unveil a new playground. So I was able to do that myself. I'm working on getting the sponsorship for another one this year that I'm going to ask some realtor friends of mine to jump in from REMAX to help build another one, as well as we're looking at, uh, I've been bugging Anna to come and do some up in Thunder Bay. Usually they're in the GTA area, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to get her to actually uh, move out of the GTA area for a weekend and come do them up here. Now, now, what was that moment like when that family came back and saw their backyard transformed? What was it like? Um, I remember I was crying. So they, uh, when the child came out, they were playing uh, a song for him, and they have a cake, and um, I had a, med- uh, a medal to put around his neck. And um, just the, the, you know, the happiness of the family and the child and him playing, I just, I just remember I was, uh, I was a mess. I was crying, and... It was just, it was nice to see, and for these families, you know, to get a gift like that, especially for their child, is, it's an amazing thing. I, I totally pra- praise Anna for this charity that she's started and really what it's ballooned up into, so. And you're right, there's so much scope for this to, you know, pretty much go North America-wide if, uh, if we can get enough support for it. Yeah, I was bugging her to go outside. I mean, you know, it's, it's great it's in the GTA area. And they do. I think they did one in the Ottawa area or whatever. But you know, it takes a lot of uh, um, coordination and, and volunteers in order to make it go across. But I know for now they're doing. You know, they're doing great work in the GTA area. Uh, I love the charity. So I mean, I would do anything for Anna or for the charity. That's that's an amazing story. And what was it that first draw? You know, brought you into this this charity? You know, why did you pick this one? Why did you want to help Anna and Million Dollar Smiles out? Um, I've been working with a lot of um, children's charities here in town, Camp Quality. I do stuff with children with cancer at the local hospital. Remax is heavily involved with uh, CMN, Children's Miracle Network, and with Sick Kids Hospital. So to me, this was just an extension of another charity doing great things. There's so many children's charities doing uh, some great things, but I thought the connection with Remax and with the children's charity, Million Dollar Smiles, was a, was a great connection. That's awesome, and I know you do so much with uh, CMN as well. So, Vince, thank you so much for everything that you do for for children all around. Thank you, Asif. Thank you for joining us, Vince. Thank you. We've only got a couple of minutes left to take some questions from listeners. Let's start with this question from Sunny in Markham. Sunny says, I'm thinking about selling my home. What areas of my home should I polish and get ready to sell? I like the way he phrased that. So, Sunny, that's a great question. And what we do is when we go through a house, we'll identify power areas. So power areas are where is the client coming in going to focus their attention on most? So obviously the foyer and then how are they being drawn into the home? Is you know is the path lead them right into the kitchen? Then you want to make sure that your kitchen's done. They're going to look at 
kitchens, bathrooms. They're going to look at flooring, uh, you know, fresh paint. So all of these are areas that you want to address. And, you know, once we get into the home, we'll be able to advise you a little bit better. But you want to make sure that as the client comes through, you know, even the doorway leading up to the the, the home, you want that to be clean and, and painted. And then as they enter the home, just make sure they have a, a fresh and, and clean view as they move through. So is it, you know, still a good idea to make sure that that uh, kitchen is um, is polished up and looking great and up to date and same with those bathrooms? Are those good investments? Or are there other areas in the home where, you know, this is what I should really kind of get geared up to sell? Kitchens and bathrooms are great. I mean, that's what people are going to look at first because those are the uh, probably the two areas that they would want to redo if they're not up to par and that's going to affect the price. Uh, also, neutral paint. You don't want bright colors and, you know, uh, green shag carpeting because that's going to take uh, away from the attention. You want the buyer to focus on the actual home and not necessarily your your taste in decorating and colors. Okay, terrific. Thank you, Asif. We'll catch up again next week. And that's our show for this week. If you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Twitter at 1059theregion, or you can call us at 416-335-1059, or email info at 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. This is 1059 The Region.